Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is episode 29 of The Milkman of St. Gaffs. I'd like to thank our new patron, Max Novak, Fly Sprayer. And I'd like to remind you that any support you can offer through Patreon, coffee, or checking out the book or t-shirts is really appreciated. You can find more at HowieMilkman.com. And with that, let's get to the episode. It's time for The Milkman of St. Gaffs. Starring Howie the Milkman. I breathed in. The sea air filled my lungs, and it was sweet like a mother's first kiss. I almost didn't want to breathe out again for fear that there'd be no air left in the world for me. But air there was. I watched the horses gallop down the beach. They were smaller and shaggier than horses I'd seen on the streets before, a bit more woolly. The horse in front of me just stared. I guessed he was just a bit more curious than the others. I reached out to touch him, to see if he was really real, but he whinnied and then he too galloped off. 
They looked so free and wild that I wished I could take off down the beach with them. Standing there, I noticed every part of me. My feet on the sand, a warmish breeze, the sound of the waves, the sun behind me warming my back through my wet uniform. I don't mind telling you that I was pretty bewildered by everything that had happened to me. It's not every day that you die, and it's certainly not every day that you come back. The only lingering effect of being dead seemed to be that I had a bit of congestion. A warm feeling washed over me. Despite all the things I'd done wrong in my life, the spirits had given me another chance. I was grateful beyond all words. Something like a prayer bubbled up from the deepest parts of me, and I made a promise to the sea and the sand and the sun that I'd live the right way from now on. I'd learned my lesson for good. I knew now that I had to set things right, and her face was there in front of me. I knew I'd caused her a lot of pain, but all of a sudden I knew what I had to do. Stormy had shared something with me that you should only share with one person, and I, like a horrible cad, had failed to ask for her hand right there and then. No wonder she'd run off with McMurdle. She probably spent every night wondering why I didn't show up with flowers and a ring, and she probably felt awful thinking about her future as a lonely old spinster. She'd grow old playing backgammon with McMurdle as her eyesight failed. Watching the sunset through old warbly windows, dreaming of the future that might have been. She'd wanted to fly from St. Gaff's and go on adventures with me, but I had thoughtlessly ignored her. No more. I'd been sent back and I'd been given a second chance. It was time to make an honest woman of her once and for all. And then it dawned on me that I had no idea where I was. And then it dawned on me that this might all be a trick. Maybe this was a spell. Maybe I was still dead and being dead was just a series of weird dreams. But I reached down and grabbed the sand and squeezed it. It was real. I looked at my hands and my finger was still gone. My fingernails still needed cutting. I figured that if this was a death dream or a spell, my hands would probably be perfect and nicely trimmed. And I was hungry and thirsty. I got up and walked to the shore. I dipped my finger in the water and tasted it. Salt. And it was cold. This was the sea. But if this was real, and I was on a real island, how the heck was I supposed to get off? The rowboat was there, but which direction was home? I'd been in the channel between the mainland and Afterglay, but the sea stretched out as far as I could see here. The first thing to do was to walk and figure out what else was on the island. Maybe this was just a little peninsula jutting out from St. Gaff's. I hadn't studied the map too carefully, so that was possible. So up the beach I walked, in the same direction as the horses had gone. As I walked, images came back to me. I'd been on trial, I'd seen the actual St. Gaff. Stan, the man with the gold spectacles, had been watching me. What had it all meant? 
there was no way of knowing. But I was overwhelmed with being happy to be alive and desperate to see Stormy and tell her everything. I walked and walked and the landscape never changed. Sun and sea, sand and grass. The only thing that changed was that the sun was sinking and the warm breeze was getting stronger and colder. There was no end in sight to the beach in front of me. It got darker and I was starting to shiver. My uniform was not warm. All of a sudden a horrifying thought gripped me. What if I died again? Or what if I was stuck here until I died? And what if I never got to tell Stormy or anyone else what had happened to me? The image flashed, my mouth open and screaming and no sound coming out. That was my first taste of hell. Dying alone and not being able to tell anything to anyone. Not being able to convince anyone that the things I'd seen were real. Everyone would have their own idea about me, but they'd be wrong, and I'd be gone, and I wouldn't be able to tell them the truth. When I was little, I'd seen my Uncle Lorne lying there after a stroke. He couldn't speak. I knew his mind and how active it was, and I knew just from the expression on his face and from his eyes that he had a lot to say, but he couldn't say it. It scared me. There was nothing here at all as far as I could see up the beach. I was shivering now and felt more totally exposed to the world than I'd ever been. As it got darker, I saw, far off to my left, the green particles of the geyser shooting up into the air. But it looked so far off, I'd never seen it so far off and it was just like the green plume of a volcano. I marveled at it as I walked until I nearly bumped into it. I half screamed. Ah! A horse's head, eyes blue and shriveled, a dead horse's head on a stick, rotting, staring balefully at me. I panicked and ran back the way I'd come. The only thing I could think of was to get under the rowboat and hide. I ran and ran. The sun dipped below the horizon. I'd freeze, I knew it. I wouldn't make it to the boat. I knew I'd shiver and wake up stunned and senseless and starving and I'd collapse somewhere on the beach and no one would know what had happened to old Howie the Milkman. I'd been brought back to life only to die on the beach like an idiot. But there I saw on the left, the horses. The horses knew how to fend off the nighttime cold. They had no barn, no trees. They huddled together in the grass to keep warm. Like a lightning bolt, I knew what to do. I was feral. I was one of the horses now. I ran to them. When I got close enough, I sort of tiptoed so as not to scare them. Then I got on my hands and knees and crept closer. I could almost feel how warm they'd be with me snuggled up to the sleeping bunch of them. But when I crept close and was about to lie down, one horse, then two, stood up and snorted at me. They seemed pretty aggressive. They pawed the sand and it was pretty clear they didn't want me there. One dove at me and I decided to leave, walking backwards. When I was a ways away, the two horses went back to the others. I turned and headed to the shore again, the green on the horizon brighter now in the dark. 
When I'd slowed down to get close to the horses, I'd noticed that I was all sweaty from running so fast, and with the wind I was really cold now. It wasn't too long before I got to the boat. It wasn't hard to flip the boat over on top of me, and I lay there between the two benches. It was pitch black under there, and I was frozen. I curled up and thought that if I just stayed like this, I'd eventually warm up. I shook on purpose like a kind of shivering to stay warm. I could smell the wood of the boat. I smelled the seaweed and the sand, cold right under my face. My breathing sounded loud in the little space. Even though I was breathing, it was like I couldn't get any air. I wanted to get out and tip the boat over so I'd be able to breathe, but I was so frozen. I breathed deeper, trying to suck more air in, but I still couldn't get any. I moved my face to the edge of the boat, where there was a bit of space between the sand and the wood, trying to pull in some of the outside air. Then, all of a sudden, the hair on my neck stood up. What was that? A horse? Something was walking around the boat. I figured maybe it just sounded loud because it was so quiet out. But I was afraid to look. It didn't sound like something with four legs, and it wasn't making any horse sounds. My eyes had gotten used to the dimness. I could just barely make out, under the edge of the boat, shadows. Something taking steps. I tried to stay quiet, but it was so hard to get any air under here. I kept telling myself it was just an animal sniffing around and that it would get bored and walk away. But then there was a knock. I held my breath to keep quiet, suffocating. Another knock. Then something moved and I, I almost screamed. Fingers inched their way under the boat right in front of my face. They came closer and I opened my mouth to scream just as the fingers grabbed the edge of the boat and lifted it up. My face was contorted with terror when another face with scraggly long hair and horrid breath was right there in front of me, peering under the boat. It screamed and I screamed. The hands retracted and the boat fell down again. I didn't move, grasping for breath. I heard the thing outside breathing hard too. Hello? A voice from outside. What are you doing under there? Hello? I'm a milkman. I'm quite sure I haven't ordered any. I was just on a mission and I got lost and washed up here. How's about coming out from under there? But who are you? Agnes Curry, researcher. I tipped the boat back, got up and straightened out my uniform, trying to hide the shivering. Miss Curry was standing there, sizing me up. She had all this long, grizzled hair, like I said, and a greasy orange toque on top of her head. You really are a milkman. Yes, ma'am. And a soggy one at that. Well, come on, you'll catch double pneumonia. She turned and walked off, and I followed, my limbs stiff with cold. We don't get many visitors here. Where are we? Glen Maddy Island. There's nothing here but horses, sand, and me. Twenty miles long, three miles across at the widest. Are we far from St. Gaff's? About forty miles. How can I get back? Two weeks, maybe. I'll get a supply ship in. 
You can ride back to the mainland then. What? Looks like we'll be roomies for a bit. Believe me, it's not my favorite idea either. Listen, did you see a horse's head up the beach? Up there a ways? Did you... For some reason, she stopped. She pinched one nostril and breathed out hard. A stream of snot and boogers flying out from the other nostril. I guess she spent a lot of time on her own. I was having a hard time making sense of what she was telling me. But we walked on until we got to a small wood shack. It looked like the weather had beaten it pretty hard over the years. Agnes Curry pulled the door open, and I was pretty surprised to see that the floor inside was sand, like there wasn't a floor at all. She saw me looking at the ground. Been here so long, the structures sunk straight into the sand. She lit a little stove and threw me a smelly wool blanket. At least I'd be warm. Have a seat! There was only one chair in the room, and she sat in it. It was just a two-room shack, but there were piles of papers everywhere and crates with tins of food. I just sat on one of those. So, milkman, what kind of mission were you on that you washed up here? The milkmen have to do a certain amount of reconnaissance to make sure the routes and seaways are clear for any ships with milk. We're not supposed to talk about it, really, and I was just reconnoitering, and a rogue wave must have pulled me under. Uh-huh. Well, what about you? What are you doing out here on this island all by yourself? Government research. I've been here 43 years by myself. I keep records on the horse population, tides, vessels passing, air quality, insect life, you name it. But why? Government-funded research for science. We talked more and she heated up a tin of beans. We each had half the beans and it really didn't seem to be much food. Only got enough for one here. Gonna be pretty tough rations the next two weeks. Later I asked, So why have you been here so long? She got a dreamy look in her eyes like she'd been rehearsing her answer for the past 40 years. I grew up in Mingsbite. My parents weren't quite well-to-do, but they weren't poor either. But I just felt different growing up. All I saw around me in this city was buying and selling, and it wasn't making any one of them happy. They had no guide to living their lives, just greed. I saw that people didn't really have any solutions to their problems, and I wanted more than anything to help make people's lives better. Then, when my dad got sick with a rare disease, they had to take him to a university hospital, and there a very wise doctor had been doing research on his very condition. He tried an experimental cure, potassium dichlorium injections, and to all of our surprise, he pulled through. That's when I knew, if I really wanted to help people, I had to devote myself to the pursuit of science. And when I heard about an opening here, with the beaches and the wild horses and the possibility of really making a contribution, well, I just jumped at it, and I've been here ever since. And did you make any big discoveries? Hold on, she said, and she went into the other room, which I guessed was her bedroom, and I heard her unzip her pants and pee into a pot. I couldn't stand the idea of being stuck here with her for two whole weeks. At least I dried off a little and warmed up a bit in the shack. Miss Curry came back and blew out the lantern. Time to hit the hay. Then she went back to her room. 
I had the smelly wool blanket and a horsehair blanket that I laid over a pile of papers like a pillow. Normally I think I wouldn't have been able to sleep like that, but I just passed right out. And woke with a start with her standing over me, and there was lots of light coming in from the window and the cracks in the shack. Okay, let's go. Go where? To work. You're not freeloading here, bub. So she made me get up and we went out to the beach. She made me carry a clipboard with paper, and she got me to write down all sorts of things that she noticed. A new family of some rare kind of caterpillar, a glass bottle from the other side of the ocean. She made me take it with us. She told me she kept meticulous records of every piece of garbage that washed up so the government could map out how the waves went in the ocean. She picked through some horse dung to see what the horse had been eating. Grass, she said. She took a reading from a stick in the water about the tide and looked at her watch. We took a break at lunch and she heated up another can of beans. She ate it in silence, chewing each mouthful for a really long time. We hadn't had anything for breakfast. This was really not the life for me. Then we went and counted up the horses. She said every day it was the same routine of looking around the island and keeping very clear scientific records of everything. She made reports that went back to some central department in the capital, and eventually, they were going to publish her findings either as a series of articles in university journals, or maybe even as a book that would be in the library. Then, when it was getting on towards late afternoon, we found, in the shade of a dune, a dead horse. Its eyes were open. Must have died last night. I know this fellow, she said. Then, one of the most horrible experiences I've had, she made me help her drag the horse all the way back to her shack. I grabbed its ankle, it was cold and stiff. She grabbed the other ankle and had to bend it against the rigor mortis to get a good grip. Why do we have to pull it? Come on, she said. Now you might never have done anything like this before, but I can tell you, horses are really heavy. Luckily, he hadn't died too far from the shack, but still. It was exhausting and gruesome. I tried not to look at the glazed eyes. We finally got to the shack, panting and exhausted. She went inside and I heard her rummaging around in there. The stars were coming out now and it was more quiet than anywhere I'd ever been, except for Miss Curry going through the drawers. She came back out with a cleaver in her hand. The white moon was coming up now. What are you doing? Hold the hoof there. Why? Just do as you're told. I could hardly believe my eyes. I held the hoof, and she brought the cleaver down. Then she did it again. She was butchering the thing right there in front of me. I was speechless and totally aghast. Blood spattered all over my uniform. As she chopped and hacked at the thing, Her eyes got big and possessed. Horrified, I just dropped the hoof. She gave me a cold, hard stare. Pick it back up. And I knew I had to do what she said. 
She eventually hacked off a good big chunk of its leg. The moon was getting higher. She turned to the moon and held the dripping hunk up to the sky with both hands. Then, in some unfathomable voice, she said some horrendous prayer to whatever god she'd given birth to out here. When she was done, she brought the flesh to her face, and then bit into it, hair and all. I couldn't stand it anymore, and I ran off. I could hear her shouting and cackling to her deity. I didn't stop until I got to the rowboat. I got the oars in place, pushed the boat out, and jumped in. I just started rowing. I thought it was probably my imagination, but I thought I could hear, even out on the sea, her weird prayers and the gnashing of teeth on horse bones. I rowed and rowed. I steered the boat as best I could towards the green glow of the distance, but I was so tired. I decided to row more slowly to reserve my energy. I knew that I had to keep going in a straight line by keeping some object in line. But after a while, I couldn't see the sandy island, so I had to keep turning around to see where the geyser was, and I kept veering off track. I was getting blisters on my hands from rowing. I turned one time to see where I was going, and when I turned back, I fell right off the bench. There was a huge white bird sitting on the stern of the rowboat, and he was just looking right at me with these serious-looking eyes. He had big, craggy brows and a long, hooked, accusing beak. I didn't dare move. The bird was as big as me, like an overgrown seagull mixed with a duck. I stared at him, and he stared at me. I thought he'd just fly off, but he didn't. The boat was drifting further off course, and I had to row. I reached for the oars, but the bird pecked at me. It really hurt my arm. Then he just sat back looking at me. I reached for the oar again, and he cocked his neck like he was about to peck me again. Shoo! Shoo! But he didn't budge. As slowly as I could, I grabbed the oar, with the bird following my every move. I wiggled the oar out of the oar lock. The oar was heavy, but I swung it at the bird. It flew off, then came back and landed in the same spot. I swung again and the same thing happened. My breathing was heavy. I had to get rid of this stupid bird. I figured I'd been through enough and I really didn't need this thing bothering me. In fact, I was getting mad. I made like I was going to pick up the oar again and it stuck its head in my direction, getting ready to peck at me. But this time my anger got the better of me. I lunged at the bird and grabbed it around its long, feathery neck. I squeezed and throttled the air out of the sickening thing. It kicked and flapped its big wings, but I closed my eyes and throttled for dear life. Then I bashed its head against the bottom of the boat until it stopped moving. I sat back on the bottom of the boat, heaving, catching my breath. The bird just lay there, dead. I closed my eyes for a second and just passed out from exhaustion. When I woke up, it was just the beginning of the dawn, and I didn't open my eyes right away, still exhausted. But I heard pecking, and when I did open my eyes, I scrambled to the other side of the boat, and there was a flurry of wings. A bunch of little birds flew away, and I saw they'd been pecking and eating the big white bird, which was now torn to bits. 
It was then that I realized that life and nature is really all about animals ripping each other apart and eating each other in orgies of blood and entrails and dead eyes. And I never wanted any part of it ever again. And then I noticed by some miracle from the gods of the sea, I was floating right into St. Gaff's Harbor. It was a ways off still, but I was safe, and I was going home. I grabbed the oars and rowed as hard as I could. I could see the people growing from little specks to little figurines as I got closer. I kept looking behind me to steer. I was desperately thirsty, but there wasn't a drop to drink since you can't drink water from the sea. A little crowd formed as I got closer since they must have realized it was the lost milkman making his triumphal return. With the last little bit of energy I had, I pushed the boat to the pier. A few longshoremen and a couple of reporters came to get me. I was so tired I couldn't get out of the boat. And when the others got up to me, they all stopped and stared at my gory, blood-stained uniform and the dead bird with its beak open like it was going to blame me for everything. All I remember before passing out was a longshoreman saying, "'Tis a bad omen it is.'"